0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton, as we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community and pursue kingdom of god justice so let me let me start off by just telling you a story. So when I was twenty two I became manager at a, a bank branch, a uh, credit union in downtown Columbus, Ohio, uh, which was a uh, fun uh, experiment for me at that age. Uh, everybody that I managed was between 20 and 40 years older than me, so I learned really quickly uh, the incorrect ways that I communicated uh, and the ways that I needed to adjust uh, how I was uh, interpersonally dialoguing with those that I worked with. Um, but it was a super busy branch, uh, kind of constant, constant flow of people. So one Saturday morning, we uh, got there, we opened up, I was managing, and it was our main branch, so I was doing all the behind-the-scenes stuff that day, and other people were doing loans and, you know, teller work and all that stuff. So about 30 minutes in uh, to the morning, one of my coworkers came, comes up to me and she says, Stephen, there's somebody in line that I can't wait on. She's been a teller for like 20 years, so that kind of surprised me. So I looked into the line, and she described who she was talking about, and I very quickly started to understand what it was that she was pointing out, because you start to get this spidey sense when you've worked in those environments for uh, for a little bit of when something sketchy is getting ready to go down, uh, and the clothes seemed off the... The distance kept from everybody around seemed a little unique. Uh, Clutching a bag to his chest uh, seemed a little funny. And so I saw it and I was like, okay, so what are we going to do about this? Like somebody has to wait on him. Um, And she's like, I just can't do it. And I looked at everybody else who was up on the teller line. I was like, okay, if you can't, nobody else can. So I opened up the teller window. So I go up, open it up then I call the person to my window. The the guy comes up. He's hugging like an igloo lunch bag to his chest. He sets it on the counter, unzips it, takes out a trash bag, hands it to me, takes out a gun, points it at me, and says, empty everybody's drawers into the trash bag. And... I did what he said in that moment. I could tell from his eyes that he was high. The whole situation was fairly unnerving. So I was not smooth. I bumbled and fumbled and knocked stuff around a little bit. But I, I emptied mine, then I went to the person next to me and I pulled open their drawer and I emptied their drawer into the trash bag. And when I did that, them and the, the customer across from them both looked at me with like huge eyes. And so then I got to not only be the one who was emptying, but who was calming everybody else down as I was doing this. Like, it's okay, I'm gonna keep going, and you know, and I did that with all of the teller windows. I come back, the whole thing takes like forty-five seconds. I was, you know, hustling as much as I could. And I come back to my window I hand it to him he takes the bag he takes his gun and he runs I followed him in running and locking the door immediately behind him so that there would be no re-entry uh, at that point uh, I locked the other door in uh, in the building and then I walk in, and I immediately have to be the manager who says, okay, so everybody take a seat. We're going to be here for a while. We were just robbed, blah, 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 and, like, called the police, go through the whole thing. Uh, to make a long story short, it went as well as it ever could have in a situation like that. Uh, we, they, the police caught the guy right away, recovered all the money. Uh, I ID'd him that morning, you know, like, by 2 o'clock, it was like nothing had ever happened, right? Uh, for most people, not for me, probably. But um, by 2 o'clock, it was all done, finished, you know, walked away from it. What's interesting about that situation is I was the manager. I had been trained for that instance. Like they had put me through trainings for what to do when those sorts of things happen. I had no idea how I would actually act in the moments when the thing happened to me that I had been trained about until it happens. Sometimes in life there are things that happen to us that we have no idea how we're going to react until the thing actually happens to us. And we're in this series on the story of Jonah who's an Old Testament prophet. And I think this is true for Jonah. Because Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh and to tell them that God was going to destroy them uh, because of the way that they've been behaving and because of their, their patterns of sin. And Jonah didn't know how he was going to act in that situation until it actually happened to him. Sure, he was a prophet, and that hypothetically means that he would go and do whatever God told him to go and to say. But what about when the thing that God tells him to do is different than what he's expected the whole way leading up to that point? How would he act in that situation? Because Jonah, if, if you remember, is a prophet to Israel. He is a Jewish man who is a prophet to Israel. That's very domestic, right? It's in the country. And here, all of a sudden, God shows up and says, okay, now you need to go and do international missions to a people group that you don't like. Good luck. He didn't know how he was going to respond until the moment when it actually came, when the rubber hit the road. He was surprised, we'll say. And his response to this shows so much about his character or lack of. Sarah talked about this a little bit last week, uh, and I want to reiterate because I think it's just so important that we understand who Jonah is and who Nineveh is for us to be able to actually get what it is that this whole story is about. So we're going to dig into that, and then we're going to look at chapter two of Jonah. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to that at at any point. Uh, But first, I just want to pray and uh, just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us. Jesus, I just thank you for your presence this year. I thank you for your kindness and your goodness. Thank you for your love. God, I thank you that there's nowhere we can go that we can outrun you. There's a prevailing story throughout Jonah, it's that that we can't run away from you. You keep showing up. You keep moving. You keep giving us opportunities. You keep speaking love and life to us. And I thank you for that. I pray this morning that, that we'll hear those cries from your heart to ours and that we'll reply, that we'll turn our gaze towards you, that we'll look in your direction and see what it is that you're up to in our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what's interesting about Jonah is that the only time that he's mentioned in the Bible other than the book of Jonah is in 2 Kings 14. So listen to what it says. Jeroboam II began to rule over Israel in the 15th year of King Amaziah's reign in Judah. He reigned for 41 years, and he did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He He refused to turn from the sins that Jeroboam, son of Nabat, uh, had led Israel to commit. Jeroboam II recovered the territories of Israel between Lebo, Hamath, and the Dead Sea, just as the God of Israel had promised through Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath, Hepher. So the only prophetic word that Jonah ever gives, which is so kind of funny because his book is placed squarely in the prophets he never gives a prophetic word in the entire book uh, of jonah the only one that we're told about is one that he didn't actually like we don't even know what words that he says and he gave it to an evil king Uh, now god gives prophetic words to evil kings all the time that in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing but what's interesting is is that Amos, who was a prophetic contemporary of Jonas, gives a prophetic word from God about this event that we're told about here about Jeroboam II going and taking more land. And he says that it doesn't go down the way that God wanted it to go down. He says that there was something kind of fishy about it. So Amos has good character. Jeroboam II does not have good character. And Jonah's a little bit more tilted towards Jeroboam II, which I think implies slightly iffy character. I'll just leave it at that. I won't say he has flat out bad character, but it might have been a little iffy at this point, which honestly shouldn't be surprising if you know how the story plays out. So that's who Jonah is. What about the other main character in this story, Nineveh? Nineveh, the town and the people that Jonah is called to go to. Nineveh is in Assyria. The Assyrian Empire was one of the big dogs in those days, very powerful. But during the period of Jonah's life, it was actually in one of its least strong uh, times as an empire. Uh, It had some uh, leadership upheaval, uh, a little bit of backbiting, and so there was some room to grow for everybody else. And that's why Jeroboam II is able to take back the land that he took back. That would eventually go back to Assyria about 100 years later, and Assyria would come and take all of the Israelites into exile at that point. So just so that we're clear, the Assyrians are bad people. They are bad guys. That is kind of the reality of the story. They did terrible things to lots and lots of people. Uh, They did terrible things to women and children, things that I'm not going to even come close to going into detail on. They were cruel, they were power-hungry, and they were greedy. Jonah was sent to give a prophetic word to bad people. Maybe we could say that the bad prophet was sent to go give a prophetic word to bad people, but, you know, that's, that's kind of in between. So let me ask you a question. Introspective time. How would you feel if God called you to go give a word of repentance and change to one of the evil dictators that we know? Hitler, Stalin, one of the current ones whose names I might not wanna say because it's online and my name could get picked up in it. no, no, I won't get that paranoid with it. but, But one of the current ones who are not doing such good things throughout our world. What if God asked you to go and preach a message of repentance to them? How would you feel about that? What would your response be? Jonah's told, go to Nineveh and announce my judgment because I have seen how wicked its people are. On the face of it, this seems all right. Go and tell them that they're terrible and that I'm going to destroy them. Great, I'm game. Let's do it. Come on, God, let's go. But Jonah refuses. Why would Jonah refuse a message that he obviously wanted to give? Why would he refuse to do the thing that God's asking him to do? Jonah 4.2, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish, because I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back, from destroying people. I don't think I've ever heard a happier whine in my life. <laughs> I'm glad that Jonah knew that and that that's true. Why did Jonah refuse? He refused because he knew who God was. He knew what God was going to do. He knew how God always works in our world. That God is kind, that he's forgiving, that he would forgive those who repent and that he would save them from sure destruction, that he was loving towards all people uh, at all times. And he didn't believe that the Assyrians deserved to be saved. He thought they deserved to get destroyed. That's what Jonah decided that they deserved. So think about this. If God called you to go to one of the said dictators that you're thinking of in our world, bad people in our world, to preach repentance, how would you feel in that moment? Craig Rochelle was preaching on this, and he said, perhaps you can relate. Maybe someone has wronged you and hurt you or hurt someone that you love. And the word of the Lord comes to you, and the word of the Lord for you is to forgive them. To forgive as you've been forgiven. And you look and you go, they don't deserve it. I don't feel like forgiving them. I know that's what God wants me to do, but I don't want to. I can think of people who have hurt people that I love that if God asked me to go to their house and offer them a chance to repent or be destroyed that I would struggle because of the same thing I'd be afraid what if they choose repentance what am I going to do then if they say okay I want to change because I know what God will do in that moment I know what God's response would be in that spot Maybe you can think of a few names that would fit that for you. People who have done things that have wronged you in tremendous ways. And many people would say that your feelings, and my feelings, uh, like what Craig Rochelle said, that I know that that's what God wants me to do, but I don't want to. Many people would say that that's perfectly valid and fine. Many people would say, okay, let's do it. I'm just walking away from that. And I was thinking about this, and I remembered the shooting at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, five, six years ago, something like that. And I remember watching the court case. Maybe you watched it too, where the, the family members all came on. Uh, I think it was on screen. I don't think most of them were in the room. And one by one, these people who had had family members and loved ones murdered, they extended grace and an offer towards forgiveness to the man who had murdered people that they loved. And I remember watching it and being like, this is kind of insane. I mean, does he even deserve this? Does this even like fit with what they should be doing right now? Why would they act that way in their moment of extreme pain and suffering? Because I know that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The word for merciful here is a word that is only used for God. It cannot be given to human action. It is God and God alone's own character and response that only he can have. And those beautiful people in South Carolina figured out something that Jonah never realized in his entire life as we go through this whole story, that forgiveness is who God is. That God is both just and merciful at the same time. And that when we try to withhold our Forgiveness from somebody else, that we're just allowing ourselves to stay in captivity. But here's the most important thing that Jonah ever learned that they learned. You are not in charge of who God is. I am not in charge of who God is. God is forgiving. God is kind. God is loving. He's merciful, and he's compassionate. And when Jonah runs, he's trying to stop God from being who God is. Listen to what he does in Jonah 1. Throw me into the sea, and it'll become calm again. I know that the terrible storm is my fault. And so they picked him up, and they threw him into the sea, and it stopped at once. And the sailors were all struck by the Lord's great power. And they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Friends, don't mistake what Jonah just did for humility. Jonah isn't offering the sailors a way to live. He's offering a way for him to keep running away from God. He's trying to still continue to control God's action by saying, fine, you can't make me go if I'm dead. Toss me. That's what Jonah's doing in this moment. He's controlling, he thinks, God in this very moment so now we finally get to this part where I'm supposed to cover for today so uh, verse 17 now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights so Jonah is still trying to stop God from being who he is and what's God's answer I love it not so fast son no slow down I'm in charge here i'm the one who's dictating what's going on not you you're not in control of anything here he arranges passage with a with a whale a large fish instead of death for jonah so let's talk about a whale big enough for a human to sit in for three days and three nights shall we let's talk about this for a second so let me put it this way is it midrash or is it miracle midrash other than being an uncomfortable word means uh an ancient style of writing of storytelling i'm sure it sounds beautiful in in hebrew but it does not in english uh that is a way to convey or interpret biblical truth and narrative exploring questions of ethics or theology through elaborating or embellishing an event in the text So if we're reading it as mid-rash and embellished story, a parable, here's how you would tell the story. Jonah's in a really dark place. He's borderline suicidal at this point because he wants to get away from God so much. He doesn't want to do what he's being called to do. And so in that spot, as he's depressed and in that place, he goes to rash actions. He gets thrown overboard. And he's in a dark place deep dank stinky place for days going through this and and even in that place of of regret he's not allowed to run away from god he's not allowed to escape from what god's calling is for him this is a super common way to interpret the story of jonah and the whale uh you may have heard it interpreted that way that's fine there's no no critique on that at all uh, one person who was, uh, I love this one. It's like basically taking the, the Good Samaritan and then making it Jonah. They were like super desperate to take it from being uh, something that actually happened. So they said that he was thrown overboard. Uh, he hit his head. Uh, the waves pulled him to shore. A stranger comes along, finds him, throws him on the back of his donkey or camel or something, uh, takes him to an inn, an inn that is named The Fish. And he stays there for three days or three nights. Like that was a real interpretation that somebody tried to come up with. Like that's probably stretching it a little bit from my taste, but uh, that's midrash. That that's one way to look at this. So what about miracle? Is this a miracle? Maybe we file it under the category of God does things that are so impossible that we're not even able to understand what it is that he's up to. We know what miracles are, things that can't be explained by logic, by reasoning, by science, whatever word that you want to attach to it. We understand what that means, the normal order of things. But I want to couch this a little bit. Because I think often, and I've done this myself, when we talk about things like Jonah and the whale, and there's some other stories in the Bible that would fit in a similar category, we're really like quick to like come up with a reason that it can't be exactly the, the way that we're reading it, right? Okay, that's maybe okay. Here's the thing that I want to toss out. I think it's good to ask ourselves these questions when dealing with passages like this is my reason for questioning this because I'm unwilling to believe that God could work in such an illogical way? Or maybe this thought comes to you. Well, maybe ancient people were just less advanced, less intelligent than we are, and so they were quick to believe fables, and we have gone beyond that. If those sorts of things fit into your logical reasoning about passages like this in the Bible, I would say you probably need to check yourself just a little bit. What is it that you're running from in those moments? Because we need to be wary of joining people like Thomas Jefferson and cutting out all the miracles from the Bible. Because when we do that, we end up cutting out some bits that actually matter quite a lot. We can't cut out everything we don't understand that we read in the bible so which is it miracle or midrash which one (laughs) we hope that it's miracle just so we don't have to keep saying midrash right uh but historically it's almost unanimously uh for the israelites for the church been thought of as kind of factual this is what actually happened jesus seems to imply that when he talks about it in uh, matthew and luke i believe uh he seems to think that it's historically accurate Here's what we're told. God arranged for a fish to swallow Jonah when he's sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, I don't understand how all that works. So I would say, you know, Miracle Midrash, you figure that out for yourself. I would say, though, we want to categorize it under a category of mystery. And here's what mystery means in the Bible. It does mean, of course, an intriguing puzzle how we always think about mysteries, right? Something that we want to figure out and understand. But in the Bible, mystery always moves from being an intriguing puzzle to being this, to being a marvelous plan or purpose, once mysterious, that God has now revealed. A marvelous plan or purpose, once mysterious, that God has now revealed, So the real question for me as I read this story is how do I move from this just being an intriguing puzzle that I want to figure out to it actually being something that God is using to reveal himself in his plan in our world? How do I get to that spot when I look at this? Christopher Hall, a theologian, wrote that if God is really God, then we must draw near to him with the delight that comes from knowing genuinely what can never be understood fully. We cannot control who God is and what God does, but we can learn from who God is and we can accept what it is that he's up to. God set this up to help Jonah to learn from what it was that he was running from to learn in that space and in that place and to provide a space for jonah to be able to repent so let's talk about what happens in the belly of a whale let's read jonah 2 i am actually going to read it so let's look at it then jonah prayed to the lord his god from inside the fish and he said i cried out to the lord in my great trouble and he answered me I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, O Lord, you've driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. "'Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. "'I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. "'I was imprisoned in the earth, "'whose gates locked shut forever. "'But you, O Lord my God, "'snatched me from the jaws of death. "'As my life was slipping away, "'I remembered the Lord, "'and my earnest prayer went out to you "'in your holy temple. "'Those who worship false gods "'turn their backs on all God's mercies, "'but I will offer sacrifices to you "'with songs of praise.'" I will fulfill all my vows for salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. What an ending to that trip vomited up by a large fish. Just when he thought it couldn't get any worse, probably did. So Jonah's going where he doesn't want to go. He's doing what he doesn't want to do. He's being led by somebody that he probably doesn't like that much. Sound about right? that's kind of where we find our hero at this point and he's allowing his bitterness and his anger to lead him instead of allowing the calling that god has for his life to lead him in the direction that he's going so what can we learn from jonah here here's the first thing jonah ran we need to stop running We have to stop running. Psalm 139, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Jonah was running from something then, someone that he could not escape. And instead of allowing that to be good news, as it should be, you can't get away from God. When you think you've gotten away, he's still gonna be there. When you think you're at your lowest, he's gonna be there. When you think that you've reached the spot where you've done the thing that is so bad that God can never want you to be in his presence, he's still there. That is good news. That's the good news of the gospel. And Jonah takes the good news of the gospel and tosses it out and says, I'm running the other way. He allowed his bitterness to lead him instead of the joy that's found in the presence of Jesus. Are you running? Maybe the most important thing you could do today is stop. Stop and see where it is that he's at. Here's the second thing. Jonah bought into his own lies. Listen to verse four oh lord you've driven me from your presence sounds all poetic when we read it in there in the flow of everything but did you catch that lord you've driven me from your presence is that actually what happened like at all in this story no god didn't kick him out of his presence he ran he went the other direction but he started to change it now all of a sudden like because he's saying it in a prayer it seems like the right thing it seems like what actually happened no it's not it's a lie he's telling himself lies and he's allowed it to sink in so deep that now he believes that it's actually the truth in this moment basically jonah's saying god you obviously need me to do this so i'll do you a solid and i'll go You obviously couldn't do this without me, so I will show up and do the thing that you're unable to do without me and all my might from the belly of a whale. Uh, Like, Jonah distorted the truth so much that he thought he was doing God a favor. Friends, if you're believing your own lies, start listening to the truth that Jesus has for you. The safest place you'll ever be is in his presence. He's never going to kick you out. He's never going to run away. You can't escape him because he's always there. That's the truth. Allow the truth of what he actually says to be your truth. And then look at verse 7. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. The third thing to learn in the belly of a whale is that we need to remember accurately. Stop believing the lies and remember accurately what's going on. Jonah believed that he was the one who made things right. He believed as he's praying this that he's the one who corrected stuff and got it on the right path. But he was remembering it wrong because God arranged for a fish to swallow him. He had nothing to do with that. He didn't order it on Airbnb or Hotels.com. He didn't like want to do an exciting vacation adventure. And so he looked it up on TripAdvisor like God did this. He had nothing to do with it. All he did was get thrown out of a boat and he couldn't even do that by himself. Remember accurately, remembering, It's one of the most used words in songs and poems in the Old Testament. Over and over and over again, And any time that it's used, it's used to talk about the actions of God for his people, the ways that God's protected, the ways that he's provided, the ways that he's saved. Remember what God has done and how he's done it and the ways that he's provided for it. Remember, remember, remember. It's always used to describe the actions and activity of God. And here Jonah's using it to describe his actions within the most recent past, and he's not even remembering it correctly. He's placing himself in the position of God. And that's faulty. So how do we remember well? Starts by remembering things like this, like what David Benner wrote. God's love has nothing to do with your behavior. Neither your faithlessness nor your unfaithfulness alters God's love to the slightest degree. God's love is absolutely unconditional, unlimited, and unimaginably extravagant. The more you remember who God is and what he's done, you're on the right path. You'll be loved. Here's one thing that Jonah didn't learn in the belly of a whale, but that he should have. I don't know if you noticed it. He never repents for anything. There's no, I'm sorry I ran away. That was childish. I shouldn't have done this. You know, forgive me. Thanks for being nice and not letting me die. Like, there's nothing. There was no repentance in this entire prayer that he prays. It's much more of a, I was dying. You saved me. Thanks, I guess. Like, okay, now I'll go do what it is that you want me to do because you saved my life. In kind of a grumpy, no looking at your eyes, you know, sort of way. Like, that's what he does here. Do better. We can do so much better than Jonah. We can actually repent. We can mean it. We can change. We can recover our relationship with Jesus. We can learn from this. Repentance is where we need to start. Friends, I want to encourage us. Don't waste your time in a belly of a whale. Don't waste your time allow it to make you holy the the christian word for this is sanctification and it's a process of being made holy jonah was given this gift he was given space to be able to come before god to get himself correct and right to repent to deal with his stuff in the presence of jesus and he threw it all away as we're going to see later he didn't allow this to change him at all he keeps going down the same cycles is what he's going to show sooner rather than later. He rejected that gift, but we can be different. As the worship team starts to come up, Simon Ponsonby wrote that sanctification is an internal work that's evidenced externally through our Christ-like character and good works that benefit others. Sanctification is a holy habit through the habitation of the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is a journey. You don't know what you're going to do until a situation happens. But you've been formed by Jesus, sanctified maybe in the belly of a whale. If you've gone through the things that Jesus has called you to and the places that he's led you, you'll be in the right place to see what God wants to do when he puts you there. And Jonah Jonah 2.9 says, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and as we stand we're going to worship and i think that that's the place that we begin as we begin in a time of worship uh of of acknowledging who god is of focusing our hearts on his holiness his goodness his kindness whatever it is that you need to connect with him about this morning use this space to be your belly of a whale with a lot less stinkiness you're welcome to be a place where you can be made holy like Jesus as we focus on our good God. So let's pray. Jesus, I know in a lot of ways, uh, there's many of us that can connect with Jonah maybe more than we would want to admit. There might be ways that our our laughter is masking our own <laughs> uncomfortableness uh, with the things that we see in our own lives. The ways that we've ran. The ways that we haven't wanted to embrace the things that you've called us to. Our reaction in times of struggle and pain. Our own lack of repentance. Maybe our over amplification of how great we are so that we feel better about ourselves in those moments. God, we just give it all to you. I thank you that we can't control who you are, but that we can sit in deep joy and reverence and love, knowing that you are kind that you are good that you are merciful and compassionate and that you are always with us no matter how high or how low we are you are there come Holy Spirit make us aware of your presence right here and right now in Jesus name Amen Mm -hmm.